Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Brad. Hey, it's James. We decided to start a podcast about subjects that spark conversations between us. We're not professionals and we don't claim to be, but we will look to get some guests on each week who can shed some light on these areas. Ultimately, we wanted to have an open conversation and hear the thoughts of everyone else about these subjects. And hopefully you guys can learn as we do. This is How Little We Know. <laughs> We're back. Brad's eating a cracker. We're eating some hummus and a cracker. <laughs> We've come back with a bang here, boys and girls. <laughs> it was a, it was a good year. <laughs> Starting 2018 right. Welcome to episode number five of How Little Woo! We Know. Uh, firstly, a massive thank you um, for all of you guys that were listening last year. Great, great start to, to the series. And we hope that you had a very happy Christmas and a Merry New Year. I did that the wrong way around there, didn't I? Should yeah, be it's good. Christmas. No, I like it. <laughs> you I like it, it mixing it up. Yeah. Uh, what, how, what did you do, Brad? Just sort of quickly for the, for the fans. Uh, I went away on holiday with my family, which was really, really nice. Went to Mauritius. Beautiful. Got a little tan. I think I'm quite tanned. I think you are. You're like an olive. (laughs) Thank you. They are green. Um, (laughs) 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 What about you? What did you do? Um, I went to Centre Parks and the Lake District. I I have to be honest, I've developed a taste of red wine (laughs) in the past couple of months. And um, I know we we touched upon it in the first episode, (laughs) but now it's becoming... Spiralling out. (laughs) Almost daily. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, uh, thank you very much for all you guys who... Uh, downloaded the the series both on the uh, podcast store and also on the Intel website. There's a new app that they've just well, it's actually coming out very soon. I'm not sure when it's out, but we'll let you know when it does come out. And you can listen to to the episodes on there if you are on Android, and you can well also on iPhone. But you can see pictures and exclusive content on there too. Uh, also, we're up to two hundred thousand downloads, Brad. I know, doubled the numbers. Yeah. Very exciting. Can we get two hundred fifty thousand? <sighs> Who knows? Maybe. Nice. Uh, so yeah, please keep sharing, sending us tweets at how little we know. We read them, like them, retweet them, use them in the podcasts, uh, and uh, it's just good to kind of have a bit of a rapport with you guys to see how you're feeling about the episodes, what you're wanting to hear, and whether you liked it or not. So uh, whether whether I should go solo or um, <laughs> he's thinking about it. Swap Brad for someone. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> now uh, I'm really really excited for for this for this episode. I'm a bit of a bit of a fan of our guest. It's me. I'm the guest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it is a very exciting episode. It's a bit different to the ones I think we've done before, mm. um, in the sense that we're hopefully giving this person, this guest, a platform to just kind of tell a story. So we don't really want to give you guys too much background. We want to let her do the speaking. Mm. So without further ado, let's do it. We're going to call Megan Phelps Roper. Hello. Hello. Hey, it's Rick. Yay, yes. we're in business. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. How are you doing? I am wonderful. I'm at an airport, so I apologize in advance if you hear anything over like the loudspeakers or whatever. I'm in a pretty quiet place, but 
occasionally. Well, you know it what? It sounds good. Yeah. Our last guest was in an airport, so this is perhaps becoming a bit of a, a theme. A bit of a theme. Yeah. <laughs> no, we really appreciate your time, though. Thank you, Megan. Mm. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, so we we wanted to to have you on because I've um I saw your your TED talks and um and it for for me it's it's nothing other than like inspirational kind of your story and it's so interesting and I think that a lot of our listeners um may may never have may never have heard of you um and we would just love to really get your story across to them because I think it's such an incredible story um so I mean without further ado should we just should we just crack on yeah I think so do you want to take it take it off Brad? yeah so yeah like James says um this is really just a platform for you to tell your story Megan to uh, our listeners so in your opinion, oh. how's the best way to define or describe the Westboro Baptist Church? Um, well, it's a it's a group of about you know seventy to eighty people. It was started by my grandfather in the nineteen fifties, and in nineteen ninety one, the church started protesting. Mm-hmm. I was five at the time. Most of the church is my immediate and extended family, so my grandparents had thirteen kids. Um, mm-hmm. And my mom was the de facto spokesperson for a long time, most of my, you know, youth and, you know, growing up into my 20s. And so, and because I was her, her oldest daughter, I am her oldest daughter, I should mm. say. I don't have contact with her anymore since I left. Okay. But um, so because I was her, I am her oldest daughter, I worked very closely with her and, you know, became a very staunch advocate for the church's ideology, which is that you know, out of all of the, you know, billions of people in the world, they are, you know, this group of 70 to 80 people are the people of God. And basically everyone outside is irreversibly doomed and going to hell. Mm. So we thought that our job to to be in obedience to God um, was to go out and protest the sinful lifestyles of everyone outside the church. And, that doing that would either condemn, it would condemn people, um, or for the very few, you know, outsiders who were God's elect, God's people, uh, it would be a mechanism to, to call them to our church, you know, the mm-hmm. basically heaven on earth. So what sort of things would you would you protest? You said that you protested, um, you know, I, I presume from quite a young age. What, um, what, what were you protesting? Uh, so when I, we started protesting when I was five, so... Mm-hmm. And it started at a local park um, and then pretty quickly expanded. So we were, you know, protesting other, you know, Christian churches, um, you know, saying that they weren't actually Christian. Right. We started protesting the government, the military, um, entertainment, sports events, musical groups, concerts, just until, you know, by the time I left, we and literally anything, any event, any gathering of people, any, anywhere was mm-hmm. an appropriate place for us to pick in. So the aim of the picketing was obviously to spread the word of your ch- your church. So how many people were connecting and joining the church off the back of that? Did you see a surge in followers of the church off the back of the picketing? Uh, no, very few people. The picketing turns turns people off, uh, and and deliberately so. You know, they Westboro believes that they can't convert people. That it that that's not within their power to do only right. God can change somebody's heart. So mm. our job was to be, you know, as clear and plain and unambiguous as possible. And, you know, I, I understand that, but you know, in hindsight, 
it led us to do a lot of things that were, you know, deliberately, um, like obscuring our message actually, mm-hmm. you know, by being so, um, not just blunt, but deliberately cryptic in the way that some of our, and deliberately antagonistic in unnecessary ways. Um, most people, this is, you know, one of the things about the church that again, in hindsight is it's so funny and frustrating mm-hmm. is that they, they, you know, they really believe that they're doing things in the right way. Where does that stem from? Like, I know you say your grandfather started it, um, but where, where did that all stem from? And where did this idea that their word was the truth and everyone else, like, where did that stem from? The Bible. So we spent a lot of time, you know, basically, you know, every day, my, my family, and, and then of course, other, other, you know, families in the church, we would sit down and read the Bible and, you know, memorize chapters at a time. And so it, it comes from, you know, like, why did we protest, you know, mm. versus like Isaiah 58, one, which says to cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions. So that's show my people their transgressions. Right. And yeah. my grandfather would say that means get in their face and make it crystal clear. <laughs> so, um, so, so when you were, so when you, when you, you know, when you got, got in people's faces, I mean, I, I know personally uh, from, from my own research, kind of some of the things that you're your um your signs would say and stuff but just for our listeners that they, they weren't particularly nice messages on on the signs were they there was some quite hateful things which in my opinion is directly opposite what you know a religious a, a true religious group should should be preaching so what were the sort of things that you'd be you'd be saying i know that you you went to a couple of um like military funerals didn't you and and would say pretty pretty horrible right. things about yeah. So, so I mean, what were the yeah. sort of things, just for our listeners that, that may may not have heard yeah. of the Westboro Baptist Church, what are the sort of things that those signs would say? Right. So, I mean, our the web, our website and you know, kind of our most famous sign was uh, God hates fags mm-hmm. and, you know, gays are worthy of death and uh, thank God for dead soldiers, things like that. Mm-hmm. And basically, again, the idea that came across was that if you weren't part of our church, you were going to hell, and that's that was that was their their basic message. Uh, and so, our, our you know, we would you know, basically tell people that their duty was to repent. Yeah. Those, it feels very like obviously, the seventy people who are part of the church are then generalizing the rest of the world and and needing them to repent. Why was it homosexuals and these war? these military funerals why were they targeted like obviously your your message is to that the rest of the world is wrong why are you picking two specific groups out of that well like i said we we actually picketed a lot of different groups and and they were regular targets you know jews and muslims to a lesser extent but uh, to answer your question why focus on you know the lgbt community yeah well um, you know, this was in the 90s, early 90s, mm. and you know, it's kind of the you know middle of the AIDS you know crisis in the right. U.S. and and you know it was really a time you know a, a lot has changed over the past few decades yeah. about you know the culture's understanding and you know and sort of sentiments around the LGBT community. So it was a lot more you know accepted in the early 90s to mm. be anti-gay and. So, but it was at a time when it, that movement was really gaining steam and getting a lot of attention. And so we thought, 
that it was our duty to go and talk about this, you know, hot button issue, this controversial issue that was getting a lot of attention. You know, people people would ask us that question, like, why do you focus on gay people? Mm-hmm. And it's because we would, we would say, because you focus on gay people, like it's in the media all the time. There's articles mm-hmm. and news stories. And so it's and it, we thought that it was our duty as, you know, preachers to talk about what God had to say about it. Was it partly that? And was it partly that because it was the LGB community, LGBT community at that time was getting such big coverage did you feel like by going along and picketing that it would also in turn give the message you guys were trying to spread equal amount of coverage was that potentially a platform a bigger platform than you'd ever had was that part of the thinking Um, behind it I I would say that getting attention was a huge part of our goal in fact it was the primary way that we gauged success not we didn't gauge success by the number of people we converted which was very like i mentioned earlier very very few mm-hmm. over the years um but it was about getting attention because and and i remember sitting in on an interview that my grandfather did with a reporter and she said a lot of people say that you're just doing this for attention mm-hmm. and Gramps looked at her like she was an idiot <laughs> and said well, of course, I'm doing it to get their attention. Yeah. How can I preach to these people if I don't have their attention? Mm, so right. it, it's not a, you know, ostensibly, it's not, a, it's not about personal, you know, notoriety and glory. It's about, you know, publishing the message, this message that they see as the most important thing in the world and, you know, the only hope for mankind. They know that most people will reject it because that's, you know, what the Bible says. Yeah. And, but, but they still think it's the only hope for anyone to change. Mm. Um, so obviously, uh, th- these these protests were. I mean, like w- just me watching them on like YouTube or whatever. I get angry just watching as a third person. Um, as a child, did you encounter a lot of violence? Kind of before, you know, when you were like a five year old girl holding up one of those signs. Did you see things, violent things that perhaps you shouldn't have done? W- w- is the picket liner? Is it like a battleground in some ways? Did you, you know, were people violent towards you even as a child? Absolutely. I mean, and even, you know, you said battleground and that's, that's the perfect way of putting it. That's how the church sees it. Mm. And it's always an ideological battleground. Yeah. Uh, the violence, you know, it, it wasn't nearly as much as you might think, but it mm-hmm. was still pretty consistent. And it, and it wasn't like, especially in the early days, you know, before we, you know, started basically contacting the police before yeah. we went anywhere uh, and had you know, police there. That you know, again, as a five-year-old, I just remember you know, standing there. Huge groups of counter-protesters would come, you know, to these to these pickets and physically assault the, especially the the, the guys, yeah. you know, the teenage twenty-something, thirty-something guys, and but like like throw their cars into park in the middle of these you know boulevards, you mm. know, four-lane roads, you know, that we would uh, and and like cross the street come you know coming at us with this yeah. you know you know very aggressively and and there was a lot of there was quite a bit of that in the early days especially and you can imagine you know at the funeral protest yeah. there was you know a lot of that also was and, and of course in hindsight it makes yeah. of course of it's course not surprising is. is it now well i mean at, at the time though like you're seeing these people that are that are obviously so upset with with the actions that, that you and your family were doing was there never any moments when you were like i don't know a 10 a 10 year old girl and you saw people uh, re- reacting in this way so volatile was it ever did it ever cross your mind that what you were doing was perhaps not right um did you ever question your, your actions at that age 
Yeah, a few times, but it, again, because we were reading the Bible, you know, every day mm-hmm. and reading what the Bible had to say about these issues, you know, and the Bible says that people are going to react, you know, either basically either by mocking or by anger and violence. And that was absolutely my experience. So for me, you know, the, the most important thing was if, if you could show me that it was in the Bible, no matter how extreme it seemed to anyone else or how obvious it was that it was hurtful to other people, um, I, I would go along with it. I thought I had to go along with it because you know, it was justified. Us, the Bible, on the bottom, yeah. yeah. And not just justified, but, and this is something that a lot of people find surprising, but, but Westboro really believes that what they're doing is the definition of love. They yeah. believe that, mm. you know, the rest of the world's definition of love and understanding of, you know, compassion and empathy and, and that we're, we are all wrong about what it actually means. And really it's the truth of God. And by the truth of God, they mean, Westboro's interpretation of the Bible. Yeah, I was just about to say, it's, it must be quite hard because the Bible obviously is so dependent on interpretation. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're not you're not justifying your actions off the basis of the Bible, you're justifying your actions off the basis your interpretation of, of, of the Bible. Yeah, Westboro's interpretation. So that must be like, as soon as you begin to grow up and develop your own, well, I suppose if you've grown up in that kind of environment, that completely changes your way of thinking but as soon as you start to form your own opinions and maybe start to question these things and then but you're reading the bible every day surely your own interpretation starts to come through of that well it's really it, this is another one of those uh, my sister calls them mind fucks um <laughs> where but the church doesn't believe in interpretation yeah because right. there's a, a verse that says you know that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation so they believe right. that interpretation doesn't exist, that there's only one way of reading the Bible that makes it uh, that such that no part contradicts any other part. Um, so and they believe that, of course, that that's their interpretation. That's yeah, yeah. And, and because, you know, so many mainstream Christian beliefs, um, you know, things like God loves everyone, because there are so many verses that we memorized, you know, yeah. and, and we were, of course, you know, responding to people. So I grew up defending these ideas on the picket line. So people are coming at me saying, God loves everyone. And I'm saying, go look at Psalm 5.5. It says that God hates all workers of iniquity. You know, Mal- the book of you know, Malachi 1 says God hated Esau. And so does Romans 9. So, yeah. it, and, there, and that's just a few of the many verses that talk about the hatred of God. So for me, growing up, the fact that, you know, so many mainstream Christian beliefs, you know, that, that I would read about what other people believed. And then, you know, from the time I was tiny... I had my parents and my aunts and uncles and my grandparents explaining to me why everybody else was wrong. It's like the natural conclusion that you come to is that ours is the only way. Mm. And it, it took a long time for me to see otherwise. And social media was a big, a big part of that. What's up, everyone? We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Feel free to get involved. Tweet us on at how little we know and we'll try and include you in next week's episode. Let's get back to it. Just um, I I mean I don't know too much about your your personal life, but did you go to school like normally, or was it all internal? Like, did, did you go to a normal school? Yep, I went to public school. All all of us went to public school and university. So so with with that in mind, um, I mean like, so your peers at school would be playing like I guess like netball or whatever, but then on on your weekends you'd be protesting at a veteran's funeral. It's like, what was there an obvious division between you and other people at school? Like, did you ever? Did you ever like have to almost like cut out friends from your life that you'd made at school 
um, because you were at such opposite ends of kind of the spectrum with things. Like, was the that was the that kind of division between you and other people in your year at school? Yeah, and it was it was very compartmentalized. You know, your relationships with with classmates. You know, we, you weren't you know really allowed to be close to other people, and not just because of the like the church very much. You know, and our parents had very tight control over you know what we did and who we spent time with, and that mm-hmm. included very little you know time with with classmates outside of school. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't play sports sometimes, um, but so. But also in school, you know, when I was in high school, I would be sitting in class with my, you know, with my classmates and, and, you know, working on homework together. And, you know, we were really good students because our, our parents had very high standards for us. And so people would like, we would absolutely interact with other people and it would be friendly and, and just fine. Um, And, and then we would leave class and cross the parking lot and, you know, literally picket my high school during lunch. Um, so all these people we were just sitting in class with and I like driving by uh, like throwing things and yelling and honking oh and like speeding down the road and, yeah. and we're just like standing over there holding signs eating Lunchables <laughs> so, so you obviously I, I, I presume then it was an absolute no to bring back school friends that weren't part of the church after after school to your house right right it, it was very rare like every once in a while like you know they would have like a you know I, I ran track a mm. couple of years in high school and you know, they'd have a, you know, they'd host dinners. The team would host dinners every, you know, every few weeks or something. And mm-hmm. we would host, we hosted at our house a couple of times, mm-hmm. I mean, right. like, but it, it was very rare. And, yeah. you know, we weren't, we, we just, and we just, honestly, we just didn't get close to people for, I mean, cause it was on, it was honestly, it was on both sides. Cause of course they were all aware, yeah. you know, yeah. I was, I started picketing just before I started kindergarten. So yeah. I'd grown up with a lot of these people and they knew who we were and what we believed. And so there was sort of this, you know, we were always aware that we are not like you, you are not like us, and, and you know, we can be friendly, and we can be polite, and our parents taught us to be, but yeah. you can't trust these people. That was always yeah. our feeling. So, when you're in school, the group of people that you were surrounded by in school, was there any students who fell into the category of people that you were picketing? Was there students alongside you who were in class, for example, who wouldn't have com- yeah. conformed to your view of the the right way to be. Do you know what I mean? And how did you yeah. then meet that in school? Did you just completely avoid them? Was there ever a time that a student came up and spoke to you about it and confronted it? Was there any of their moments in school? Yeah, so basically everybody we went to school with was not living according to Westboro mm, standards. Yeah. So they were, you know, there were a few Jewish students and there were some... Yeah you know, LGBT students who are out, um, and, but, you know, many of the rest of them were Christians who, yeah. you know, we, we would picket their churches on Sundays, you know, yeah. we'd picket about a dozen churches every Sunday, wow. um, before we had our own church services, so it was, I mean, there was never any, uh, and, and there were people who, you know, would confront us about it, like, our parents taught us not to bring it up at school, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, not the time and place, we're there to learn, you know, things like that, yeah, yeah. but, it did come up in a few classes. Like uh, I took a U.S. government class when I was a senior in high school, and and my teacher asked, you know, beforehand if it was okay if he brought up the church when right. we were talking about the First Amendment. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't mind at all. So I mean, it's it's definitely come up in classes like you know, sociology and anthropology, but um, for the most part, it was this 
very, like I mentioned earlier, this very weird kind of compartmentalization where, yeah. you know, people would yeah. meet us in, in school and they would like us on a personal level yeah. and had a hard time sort of understanding how we could possibly do the things that we were doing outside of class. Like it just wasn't, you know, they had non sequitur. They had no idea how, how it all fit together. Mm. I know you spoke about, so like James was saying earlier, I did a bit of research and I saw that one of the key factors in your leaving of the church was social media and that wider conversation opened you up to different viewpoints. But like you say, in school and university, if you're being opened up to them viewpoints there, was that kind of the spark of maybe this isn't right, maybe these students are actually speaking the truth and Westboro is in the wrong? And was, would, was that kind of the seed there that sparked your doubt about the church? Yeah. And I mean, social media was really, and I should say, like, I never, I never want to discount, you know, the value of having, you know, been in school and had, you know, students and teachers, you know, be kind and compassionate mm -hmm. and understanding and, you know, willing to talk about uh, things with us. Um, but at least for me, social media w was a way for me to be vulnerable in a way that I couldn't be, you know, in, in a physical presence with other people. I was always, you know, when I was in physical presence with other people, there's always this sense of sort of need, the need to keep people at arm's length, yeah. you know, like always aware of, you know, we basically grew up understanding that all of these people outside are a potential source of danger. Yeah. You know, they, people that could lead you astray and, you know, try to get you believe, to believe the wrong things. And so I was always, you know, very aware of that whenever I was in physical space with people. And it was, you know, also it feels more confrontational mm -hmm. a lot of times to be in physical space with other people who are challenging you. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with social media, there was kind of a, a, a distance. You know, the fact that I wasn't in their presence, you know, sort of let me take a step back and consider things in a way that I hadn't before. Letting my guard down, you know, made it so I was also more more open to what, people were telling me and like sort of seeing I could see things about their lives on social media that I could never see in real life because I wasn't going to these people's I wasn't going into their homes really mm -hmm. and really getting to know people in you know in that kind of intimate way that you can have you can have that on social media yeah. um and so when people were reaching out and you know I'm watching you know these people who I would see as enemies. I'm watching them interact with one another. So instead of just like seeing them on a picket line, for instance, where yeah. everybody's angry and yelling, I'm like seeing them joking around with their friends and posting mm. pictures of their yeah. kids and their pets yeah. and, and sort of yeah. really coming to realize, you know, that these are just human beings yeah. and empathizing with them in a way that I couldn't before. It feels like social media for you was like exactly what you were looking for so it feels like you were building up to something and you needed that outlet and that moment of realization what were the moments before that before the introduction of social media into your life that really started to give you that doubt about the church were the significant moments within whether it was school or whether it was a conversation that you had with someone in the church that you kind of went they can't give me the answer that I was looking for to justify what we're doing was it was it think was it moments like that that made you doubt everything that Westboro stood for? Well, so it's really strange because it it literally wasn't until, you know, the moment I first thought of leaving, which was about four months before I actually mm. left. Um, it wasn't until that moment that it, and it was like 
when it finally occurred to me that Westboro might be wrong, it was like, it was suddenly as if every passing doubt and serious doubt that I'd ever had mm-hmm. um, just came rushing forward. And they were things that, that sort of, you know how sometimes you'll, you'll notice something mm-hmm. or you have some kind of realization, but you're, you're not ready for it. You know, yeah. you're, you're just not able to pursue it. Um, in that moment. And so like there were several, several like episodes, you know, things and questions that I'd had that, you know, in the moment, like when I was, I don't know, in my, especially in my, you know, late teens, um, there was a couple of things. Um, but in the moment, like within, you know, a very short time of, of feeling, having that question or feeling that doubt, I just crushed it. You know, mm-hmm. it was, we were not allowed, you know, doubt is not a thing that you can feel. Mm-hmm. And, be a member of Westboro. Like you mm-hmm. can't, not really, you can't really entertain the idea that they're, that they might be wrong because mm-hmm. to seriously entertain that question means that life as you know, it is over. Yeah. You're going to lose your entire family and mm-hmm. you know, the only community and people you've ever been allowed to be close to. And for me, it was, you know, also, you know, my job, I was working at the yeah. family law firm, my wow. lifelong home, everything, you know, my siblings, you know, I'm, I have 10 siblings and wow. You know, at the time, only one of them had left, one of my older brothers. And right, okay. Everybody else was still there. So what I'm trying to say is, like, th- there were a couple of moments where I had these questions, and I just crushed them. Yeah. And or and, and it's really funny, because some of them are things that, like, I hadn't even fully developed the question. It was like, hmm, this isn't quite, this doesn't seem quite right. And then before I could even pursue why why it wasn't quite right or what it wasn't right about it. I just dismissed you know, the, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Dismiss it out of hand because I, I just couldn't, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I want to, I want to ask you sort of like, I know you said it was like a four month process, but how did it kind of go down the actual day that you left? Like what, what happened on that day? Did you literally just pick up your bags and leave with your sister or, you know, what, what happened? Talk, talk us through that day. Yeah, I mean, so for a, a couple weeks before, you know, we left, we had, you know, I'd been, you know, cleaning out my room and, you know, mm. moving boxes out into uh, my former English teacher. I had a high school English teacher who had been really kind, you know, to, to me and really open about, you know, he was one of the very few teachers who would openly talk to me about about Westboro and what we believed. And he never, it was never from a judgmental perspective from him. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt like he was a safe person to try to talk to. Mm-hmm. But even as we were moving things out, you know, we had this, um, you know, the idea, and I told this to the teacher too. It's like, it was always a hope that maybe if we can convince the church that they're wrong about things, mm-hmm. then maybe we can stay. And if they do change, um, then we will take all the stuff that we moved out. We'll bring it all back yeah. and, you know, yeah. control Z this whole thing. Mm. And um, did, did your mum try and, you know, you said it was a two week process there. Did anyone in your family try and convince you to stay or was it as soon as you sh- had started moving, you know, what? Yeah, I should say it was secretly. Nobody knew yeah. we were ah, actually okay. taking that stuff out. Right, so it wasn't until, you know, the, the afternoon that we left um, and, you know, we sat down with my parents and, you know, we told them that we were leaving and several people did try to, you know, to, to convince us to say and to stay. And, you know, like, again, 
the hardest, the hardest part, you know, was, was knowing how deeply we were going to be wounding these people that we loved and still love so much. Um, Their opinions had meant everything, you know, to me there because their opinions were, you know, indicative of, of God's opinions and, you know, they were watching out for my soul. And and so to, to know that we were, you know, hurting them was the absolute worst thing. And to actually look them, you know, in the face as they're coming in where we're packing and I'm, you know, just weeping. Yeah. Well, it's family, isn't it? It must've been such a hard thing. Was that, did it feel easier for you and your sister to walk away from it rather than confront them and try and, turn their views because I know you just said earlier about you did think about potentially trying to change their point of views and getting across the reason that you decided to leave was there ever that conversation when you were leaving did you try and say to them look these are the reasons I'm leaving maybe you guys should try and take them into consideration did you have that conversation with your family yeah so leading up leading up to that you know to to that day that we left I tried repeatedly you know, my sister didn't have quite the same, you know, and again, I, I don't want to like overstate my position in the church because, yeah. you know, I, I was not a leader, um, yeah, but yeah. I, but I was, you know, I, I worked, like I said, I worked very closely on a lot of, on a lot of the logistics of, of what we did. And I, I had this kind of, you know, special place. And so I, I tried to, you know, I, I had a little, little bit more leeway to try to like push back against some of the things that the church was, was doing and saying. And I, I tried to, but it was like running into a brick wall over yeah. and over again. And, you know, and again, because of the fact that, you know, one, that I was, you know, female and that I was younger, you know, I, I didn't, I have a lot of, I don't know, leverage or, or power within the church. Yeah. Like, and, and you know, people, they, it was just mostly, dismissed you know when I would talk about problems or, or you know questions that I was having and things that to me seemed totally unscriptural about what we were doing I, this you know these you know as as I was questioning and, and coming to realize how wrong we were on at least some things I wasn't convinced that they were wrong about everything but there were a lot of things I was sure were not scriptural um and you know to to bring them up at all the assumption is always that the problem is you. The problem was me, not, yeah. not anybody else. Mm. And so just go to the elders. They'll set you straight was the, was the basic idea, you know, yeah. that I couldn't possibly have a point. And so when it came, you know, by the time we actually left, I did talk about um, some things. You know, I had a cousin who you, uh, James, you mentioned the through the mm. BBC documentaries yeah, that he did yeah. about the church. Yeah, yeah. So my cousin, JL, who's also in those documentaries, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, she came to me the day that we left and I was packing in my room. She sat down on my bed and again, mm. I'm just you know, weeping and she's asking me questions and, and asking why we're leaving. And I articulated a lot of things. And, you know, she basically just dismissed all of them. She sent me a text message the next morning. And just totally doubled down on everything that they, so every, all of the objections that I brought up, which weren't even all the objections, um, you know, just the ones I mentioned that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess to answer, you, you, I still do, you know, hope to change their minds. Mm-hmm. And in some ways they have changed um, since I left. One of the things that I talked to JL about the day that I left was a sign that we had that said, um, bags can't repent Mm -hmm. and you know 
you know, when I, I'm explaining why and I'm explaining these passages and, you know, for about two years, over two years after I left, you know, the, the, that sign and one other that I mentioned um, were suddenly everywhere. JL changed her profile picture on Twitter to her, like holding those two signs and like, like she's yelling at the camera or something. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so they're just like doubling down and just, just repeat, you know, repeating those ideas and never addressing the, the contradictions that, that I was, you know, bringing up. And then like more than two years later. So I, I, again, I'm during that two years, I'm also like doing interviews and talking about yeah, it on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. And then, so a little more than two years passes and I wake up and I look at their Twitter accounts and for the first time ever, they publicly disavowed a picket sign, and it was that picket sign, Bag right. Camera Pen, yeah. and it was the same verses and the same, you know. Anyway, so what I'm trying to say is like, I I believe the I believe they can be reached, you know, um, and even if it, I don't know that they can be, they can all be convinced, you know, to leave or not believe those things, but I think that they absolutely can be convinced to moderate in some ways, and mm. again, that sign is just one example, but. I, even yeah. if they moderate a little bit, I think because they impact so many people with their protests, yeah. um, if, if we can find a way of reaching them, then it can do a lot of good for a lot of people, or at least hopefully do do less harm to a lot of people. Mm. Um, so uh, you said that you um, earlier on that you've not you've not spoken to your family. Um, I, really really since like did, was it literally like one day you're in and then when you left was that it was the, was the communication like do you, do you speak to your your mum for example at all anymore or, you know if not how does that make you feel now uh no I mean there were a couple times that I called you know unexpectedly and you know she answered the first couple of times but yeah. um not anymore um and what's that like but, you know that's like you know, up to I don't know what age you were when you left, but like that was such a massive part. 27. 27, right? So you know, I'm I'm 24, so it's like I can't even fathom that having everything that I know, everything so familiar and safe and um, and comfortable to kind of be stripped from me. Like, what's it like to to live in a world now where the people that were once the closest to you are are almost strangers? You know, how does that make you feel? Do you feel that? Uh, you know, some they, they, they claim to preach love, um, you know, in, in, in their interesting different ways. But do you feel that how they're treating you now is the exact opposite of what they claim to preach? I mean, I, I from my perspective, from my understanding of love, I think I think it's awful. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's devastating. Um, and I know that they believe that even even doing this, they believe, is the most loving thing they can do for me is to not enable my sin as they see it. Mm-hmm. So, so even, even this, you know, ironically is, and, and I try to see it that way, you know, it, of course it's, it's devastating. And like I, it's, it's weird. Cause like in November I had, oh, a, it was the fifth anniversary of, you know, mm-hmm. when I left the church yeah. mm-hmm. and I've been having these insanely intense dreams about mm-hmm. my family and I just like wake up weeping and it's so yeah. awful mm-hmm. but you know I, I, I of course I think about them all the time and I miss them and I wonder oh, how my brothers are doing yeah. and, and my sister my my husband actually my husband's a lawyer um, right. and he was just looking up a sorry this is super random <laughs> but like he was looking up a you know piece of 
uh, software for his his law office. And he went back in the reviews for like a year and he found one from my sister from a year ago. (laughs) And it was like a paragraph. This is like a few days ago. And I like, I read it. I read her review and I was like, I just started, he thought it would make me happy and it it did. And it made me laugh. Mm. And, but then I just started crying. because I was like, that's the most I've seen from her in five years. And, and like, we were so close. She's only a year and a half younger than me, but it's, it's, it's really terrible. Yeah. Um, it's just very like family's a very integral part of both mine and James's lives and obviously it's the centre point of most people's lives and I think it's very hard for me to imagine putting anything above my family so I think for someone to believe that a religion and trying to dismiss sin from their daughter's lives is better for them and then distancing themselves sorry from them because of that that's a very like that's hard that's a really hard thing to Mm -hmm. do especially like for them to believe what they're saying so much that they are happy to distance themselves from their family they must it must be so deep-seated the views in them yeah and that's it's one of those things where you know sometimes people will you know come to me and, and you know talk about how you know, my parents indoctrinated me. And in a sense, that's true. Mm. But it's also true that, I mean, especially from my mom and her family, you know, my dad was 16 when he joined the church. So he was, you know, still quite young. Um, But my mom and her siblings, like, they were, they were also indoctrinated. And Mm -hmm. just the ones who are still there just never had an experience that, that has shown them that there is another way of seeing things and that there's another legitimate and valid way of seeing things. So I, I, I have a hard time seeing even the people who are still there as adults um, mm. uh, as anything other than, you know, also sort of victims of these bad ideas that have been propagated and instilled in them from the time they were tiny. Yeah. A lot of the themes that we've spoke about over the past couple of podcasts have been about social media's influence on generations whether it be positive or negative, but obviously with your story and experience, it's been an unbelievably positive one. Now, do you think that the message of the church will start to dilute and dissolve through generations because we found that younger generations with social media being such an integral part of their lives, they're just straight away in a wider community that opens them up to more people, a bigger conversation, and for you, you were in this closed community and Twitter must have just blown your mind because it was just like you're opened up to this this many people having not had that beforehand. Now, do you think the younger members of the church growing up in it with Twitter at the at, in their hand and all these, this massive community in their hand, do you think the, the doubts and the questions about the church will start to happen earlier in their lives? I mean, it, it, it does seem that way. And... I know it's come from, I mean, there's, there are so many things, there's so many factors at play, you know, everybody who's left the church, like has, we all had different experiences. We had different experiences while we were in the church because our positions in the church were, you know, were different. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the process of coming to, you know, to question and then to doubt and then to ultimately leave Mm -hmm. um, is also, is also different. But one, one theme, you know, that you you notice 
because like now there's there's a lot of us you know a lot of people in my generation have left and in fact a few days ago there was another one last summer another um and then you know it so it's 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 happening it's it's more it's happening more and more often and and i think at least from again from talking to people who have left you know more recently than i um it's and also the ones who left before a big Mm. part of it um it seems to be relationships with outsiders where and and i don't just mean like uh like romantic relationships but like friendships Mm -hmm, um with people outside is a big part of what helps people see differently when they come to realize that these people that we've been demonizing are not what we were taught Um, and having that really you know sort of intimate experience uh that it's hard to deny um and but there was one other thing I was like, oh yeah, but like, I honestly, I think another thing also is for a long time, there was a narrative about, I mean, and, and it still is, you know, within the church, people who leave are demonized way more than anybody else, even more than, mm-hmm. you know, gays or yeah. Jews or, you know, soldiers. It's people who leave that are the worst of the worst. Yeah. And, uh, and so we were always taught these people hate each other, you know, and when you look on social media now, you know, and see the relationships between ex members and realize that we, you know, we have relationships with each other and mm. we love each other and we, you know, travel vast distances to see one another and we help each other. And to see that it, it's a, it's a way of sort of countering that narrative that people, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the younger generation is getting, you know, as they grow up, when they see those things. And, and again, it's just more evidence that, that things aren't, like it's just another window into a different way of living and like even realize just just realizing that it doesn't have to be this way yeah. is such a it's a big part of the you know first mm-hmm. step out mm. i think <laughs> it's amazing that uh we we've done this is our fifth episode of the podcast now and we've kind of spoken a lot about social media and a lot of the things we've been uh saying are quite are quite negative i mean social media kind of gave us our career um but there's a lot of aspects to it that we find quite negative and it's it's quite refreshing and liberating to speak to you because you're someone that seems to really believe that social media changed your life for the better and that it's a positive thing. So I think that's it's quite a nice time to sort of end this this episode with yeah. someone you know like you saying that actually uh, having contrasting and conflicting views presented to you on things like social media it has actually really benefited and changed your life. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that's yeah. I think that's amazing, Megan. So a, ma- a massive thank you for yeah. for coming on and speaking to us from uh, from across the pond in and, the airport. Uh, Very appreciative. Thank you. Yeah, Megan. and, and My I think pleasure. And I carry on. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say I don't want I don't want to like you know act like I I'm not unaware of the you know negative aspects and the, yeah. I just think that social media is still so incredibly new it and is, yeah. there are pitfalls that we haven't yet learned how to navigate. Yeah. But I absolutely believe that we can find a way of maximizing the good and minimizing the bad. We just haven't quite gotten there yet. And that's it's why it's a big part of why I did that Ted talk. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a big part of what I'm you know trying to do with my life now is, is finding a way of using it and not abusing it or being abused by it or, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah, that's a great, that's awesome. a great kind yeah. of ethic. And, uh, and yeah, I think, I think we need more people like you because your story <clears throat> is inspiring and it's, uh, 
it, it's educated both Brad and I into the, the power of like kind of true love and uh, and yeah we really really appreciate you coming on I think you've, you've you're gonna you're gonna show our audience kind of a, a story that's gonna be touching I think so yeah. um, so a massive a massive thank you again Megan and, uh, and no, we, we, yeah, we wish you all you the so best much. No yeah. Thank you. You too. Also, your music's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks, Megan. I'll, uh, I'm going to drop you a text in a bit. But uh, thank you very much for, for coming on. <laughs> Thanks okay, a lot. Bye. Cheers. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye. So that was uh, that was that's all that, that was, was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, if if you guys at home enjoyed that, please send us a tweet at how little we know. I think it's really interesting having people on like like Megan uh, because it's completely out of Brad and I's kind of knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. people have gone through things like that. It's uh, you know, we we feel like we've experienced lots touring with the band, but then you you speak to someone that's whole life is literally turned upside down at the age of twenty seven, and uh, before you know it, she's kind of on her own to to a degree. But uh, but amazing, and um, yeah, massive thank you for listening again. Not sure who we're gonna have on. I know, I don't know how we're gonna talk. What we, we, need, <laughs> we need to get David Attenborough on, don't we? Joe, make the call. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, like like you said, it's very much the purpose of the podcast is to for us to learn and hopefully you guys learn so hopefully you guys have um enjoyed that and like james says keep subscribing and we'll hopefully see you very very soon a big up to entail yeah. for helping us out you're the best and big up to betsy from the label joe's here as well we've yeah, also got yeah. uh, you know I, I like giving random shout outs so to, tonight we've been drinking trevento argentina malbec uh, the mendoza mm, very region nice. Oh, very nice and uh, anyone asked to thank what's a random thank we can do um wait what no, oh, I, I've got a new jacket. So oh, yeah. Thank uh, Sandra, was it? Sandra. There we go. Cheers, thank, Sandra, thank, that, for that one. <laughs> I wish that was a paid advertisement. I, it, no, it I really I bloody was. love Sandra. <laughs> and uh, we've got BB-8 in the background as well. Yeah. He's loving it. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening. We'll see you very soon. And um, I hope you enjoy the podcast in 2018. Have a good one. Peace. Peace. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.